0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
2: What is good, everybody? Welcome to the throwback from Inside Carolina. InsideCarolina.com i'm your host joey powell i'm excited today because i have got greg greg barnes with me once again and the vip taylor Vipulis. boys how you doing doing good joey
0: thanks for having me
1: on yeah i'm just happy to be here this is uh one of my favorite games to talk about looking back on my career at unc so i'm excited to be here for sure
2: good i think we're gonna have a lot of fun with this one uh In case you guys aren't aware yet, those of you listening, today's game is football homecoming uh, against Duke in 2015. You might remember that was a heck of a year for the football Tar Heels. I mean, just steamrolled over everybody from, you know, game two through game, I don't know, 13 or whatever it was. This was uh, November the 7th of 2015. Again, it was a homecoming game. Uh, I'll try to set the game up for you a little bit. Uh, Going into the game, it was UNC minus seven. Um, Carolina had just won at Pitt, who was ranked number twenty-three the week before on a Thursday night. It was a big win. Again, if you remember anything about this team, is they were offensive highlight after offensive highlight, which we're getting ready to dive headlong into. But uh they had beaten uh Pitt on the road. They were seven and one coming into homecoming, you know, playing for the victory bell, as you all know. You know, Duke at the time was a pretty good Duke team. They were coming off of that just absolutely heartbreaking loss where Miami ran a, uh, you know, flea flicker, throw the house, everybody lateral, lateral, lateral. Uh, and then Miami may or may not have been down, but they won the game against Duke on Halloween the week before, which knocked Duke out of the top 25. They were coming in at six and two. Uh, this would be the second loss of what was uh, going to end up as a four-game losing streak for Duke. So they were getting ready to to really get taken into a bad place in a hard way, as you will see. Um, you may be wondering, all right, Joey, why did you pick this game? Well, we picked this game because there's so much freaking offense. I think that going into it, this is probably the best that Larry Fedora's offense ever looked. Uh it was Seth Latrell's offense. He was the OC at the time. But before we get into the game, just want to thank our sponsors, Johnny T Shirt, for uh for sponsoring us. They're right there on Franklin Street or at Johnny T uh, they put a lot of a lot of work behind all of the all of the great content that you get at Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com. They're proud sponsors of, of this podcast, and we're glad to have them. Check them out if you need gear for when sports get started back. Johnny T-shirt is your outlet. They're going to take care of you. They got all different name brands, all kinds of Carolina stuff. If you're a fan of Inside Carolina, if you're listening to this show, chances are you probably need some gear. Hit up Johnny T-shirt. Uh, if you're a premium subscriber, you can get that extra 10% off there. Make sure you use that. But definitely patronize Johnny T-shirt. Local business. We want to give local businesses love during this time. So we want to thank them before we get rolling. So now that we've talked about all the good stuff, here we are, uh, November the 7th, 2015. Again, Carolina's favored by seven. So, you know, this this might be a close game, guys, right? It might be, might be tight. Uh, anybody have any... Any memories of this game before we went back and watched it? What what was the, the one thing that was in your mind when you realized this is what we were going back to?
0: Well, I'll, I'll jump in here before Taylor, since he's got uh, probably more fond memories of this season than I do, just with him being, being on the team. Uh, but after that heartbreaking loss to South Carolina, you saw North Carolina start to kind of piece things together. But they did it against teams like A&T and Illinois and Delaware. Impressive wins. Uh, but games they should have won. And then, of course, the Georgia Tech game, which I think was the defining game of this year, down 21's up, come back. And you're like, okay, well, what are we talking about here? That, that Coastal's not great. Can they string some wins together? Dominate Wake, and then get through some tough games against Virginia and Pitts. So you're looking at this one, and at this time, as you mentioned, they're 6-2, Duke is. And we're sitting here talking, okay, well, this is like a you know top 10, top 20 defense across the country. Duke. Now that would change, uh, in large part because of this game, but because of some other games as well. But coming into this game, we're saying, yeah, North Carolina is favored by a touchdown. They, you, everybody thinks they're going to win. But Duke's legit defensively, and we know North Carolina has some issues defensively, you know, stopping the run, which you know, played out in this game. Uh, but what can North Carolina do? What they need to do to get through Duke and to welcome Miami, because if you beat Duke, you get to Miami, all of a sudden, I mean, the Coastal is there for the taking. Uh, and so it was, really, it was really not that North Carolina is going to get upset. It was more of, can they get over the hump? You know, we've talked about, you know, can this team ever get back to a, a level where they're competing for an ACC championship? Can they get to the ACC championship game for the first time in program history? All these things were in that discussion. Because as you mentioned, this is the first week in November. This is when everything kind of gets real.
1: Yeah, Joey. In hindsight, uh, I just wanted to make a quick point. When you said UNC was minus seven, that's a game I wish I put my life savings and took out a couple extra loans just so I could have bet UNC <laughs> minus seven. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how they came up with, with that number. Looking at our offense, and obviously we proved. Uh, we proved that to be a pretty easy cover for anybody who backed UNC. But going off Greg's point, when we lost to South Carolina, um, I just remember sitting in uh the meeting rooms as a team and there was there was no coaches and everybody kind of just came together as as uh like a family. Like you always hear teams say like we're a family, we're a family. But once we lost to South Carolina, the next day we came together, like everybody kind of just looked at each other and was like, you know we have to play at a higher level. And I think you started to see that week in and week out, beating teams like A&T and Illinois and Delaware. And when we came back against Georgia Tech, people started to buy in and you know do everything possible to take their game 1% better. Because if everybody took their game 1% better, we were going to be collectively a better team. And I think when you just look at the talent that was on that team, that was that was my biggest takeaway when I watched this game, just how much talent there was on the field and how much talent we had that season. And just coming into the Duke game, we knew we had beaten them, I'm pretty sure, by 25 at Wallace Wade the season before. And the way we were clicking, we knew that if we just went out and played our – our level of football, like what we were expecting to play, like we would blow them out and it wouldn't even be close. So it for us, we weren't focused on homecoming. We weren't focused on the fact that it was Duke. Um, we weren't focused on, you know, how many wins we had in a row. We just knew if we went out there and played to our standard, the standard that we were trying to build that season, once we lost to South Carolina, that whatever team was in front of us, we were going to, just absolutely blow the doors out. And I think the best part about being on that team is that, you know, you got the same level of dedication from the starters to the backups, to the walk-ons, like the, the kids on the scout team, we took it personal that year. We wanted to challenge these guys and make them the best team possible. And at the same time, we knew if we would push them in practice on the scout team, that we were more likely to get in games when, you know, they're so prepared and they're blowing teams out and we're up by 30, 40 points by the time the fourth quarter comes around. And that was a chance for a lot of the kids who were on the scout team to show the coaches, hey, like we could play too. Um, So I think that's when I look back at this team from 2015, that's my favorite part about the team that the starters took it the The backups took it just as serious as the starters, and this was really a full team commitment of guys just buying in I love hearing you
2: say that uh when you talk about you know play the the best teams in college football and how how players you know can challenge each other the fact that you had a scout team pushing you know, your starters your ones and your twos as much as they did because i tell you what man the you know, offense was definitely i don't i don't know what the I don't know what the defense had had done to make the offense mad during during the, the week leading up to this game but it, it it turned out to be an absolute just firework show after firework show after firework show you know and, and vip when you mentioned the depth of the squad you see it later on in the game when in the fourth quarter when basically you know the coaches start emptying the bench and i mean you got guys way down the depth chart by the name of austin Prol right? <laughs> I mean, who turned out to be a, a pretty decent freaking receiver for UNC. Um, and, and he was so far, you know, he was he was on down a little bit because you guys were just so stacked. Um, and Greg, to your point, you know, Greg mentioned that this was actually, you know, the seven point spread wasn't too far off because Duke had been ranked. Uh, Duke was the number eight defense against the pass coming into this game. Well, as we would find out, uh, it did not last that long. And God, God bless him. Thomas Sirk, Duke's quarterback, just uh, was not good this day. A lot of bad passes. Um, so you guys have underst- you kind of understand now, uh, thanks to Greg and, and Taylor, kind of what, what the setup was going into it. Uh, fellas, why don't we talk about kind of the big stuff that happened in the game? And it's not going to take long for us to get there. The biggest pop of the game is UNC's first play on offense. Vip, why don't you take us through that?
1: Yeah, I remember going into the game, uh, like you had mentioned, being the number eight team against the uh, pass. We all heard about like uh, Duke's safety, uh, Jeremy Cash, who kind of led their secondary. And I think the wide receivers kind of took it personal and knew that um, we, could catch, we could catch Duke sleeping. So once, once Elijah started to pitch it back and you saw all of Duke's secondary kind of bite down, it was just UNC off to the races, and I think um, this this play kind of set the tone for a guy like Seth Luttrell, who, no matter what play he was calling that day, he was he was just dialing it up. He was, you know, five steps ahead of Duke every time when we had the ball, and um, starts off first play,
3: and they'll start with a flea flicker. They want the big play in Switzer. At midfield, a trick play for the heels, and it's a touchdown.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that. The it was so obvious that, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the th- number 33, the safety for Duke. He bit so hard on that, and by the time Switz catches it, uh, you know UNC lines up in a trips right. Uh, Switzer kind of walks, and you're kind of like he like he's gonna not really be part of the play, and then it just turns on to a go. And when he catches it, he's a full seven yards past the defender. Greg, from a writer's perspective, did, did you basically just pack everything up after that play and, and start writing your, writing your post game?
0: Uh, pretty close because not only – everybody knows about Switzerland on that play, but if you go back and watch it uh, because, as Taylor mentioned, they, they really bid on the, the flea flicker. Uh, both defensive backs on that side of the field crashed down. So not only do you have Ryan Switzer running wide open down the middle of the field, you got Mac Hollins down the right sideline who's also open. So Mark actually has an option of who does he want to throw to on that first play. Uh, and the fact that, that Duke really wanted to come in and really wanted to take away the run first. That's one of the reasons they were you know, successful defensively is they can make teams one-dimensional. Uh, that didn't work. And the other thing, and I'd like Taylor's take on this, and uh, talking with some of the players after the game and talking with Larry, uh, this was actually in play for the first play of the game against Pittsburgh the week before. You know, and you install a number of gadget plays for each game. And if you don't use them, you carry them over to the next week. And, you know, if it matches. And so they had already had this in place uh, for that first play against Pitt. And because Pitt runs the quarters the way that they do, they decided not to use it and they held on to it. And so uh, Marquis told us after the game that when he walks in on Thursday and he sees that on the call sheet for the first offensive play, he's just beaming because he thinks there's the opportunity knowing what they've learned about Duke during the the week of uh, game prep, that maybe they're going to try to really crash down, take away Elijah Hood on that first play, and that would open things up. I don't think anybody thought he would have the options that he actually did on that play. But what an incredible way to uh, to start the game.
1: Yeah, Greg. It's it's really interesting to kind of see football as like a a chess match between coaches. Where North Carolina, they we had this as an opener for the Pitt game, but you know Pitt comes out and they counter with a different look defense, and North Carolina is just able to stash it in their back pocket for for a later week, and it comes out the next week when Duke's biting hard. You mentioned that they were trying to sell out to stop the run, and when when we heard that as a receiver unit we kind of took that personal in a in a sense with coach brewer who coach brewer he has no problem finding motivation for wide receivers and i think everybody in the room kind of when we saw that as an opener we knew that somebody from our team had a good chance to score and coach brewer would always say you know we're going to get to the trap house that's what he called the end zone so i think on one of the highlights uh, i'm not sure who's whose highlight it might be this play but you could hear coach brewer's like screaming on the sideline, we're getting in the trap house today. So I think um, this was a play where when you're a receiver and you see this, your eyes light up because you know you just have to do a little stop block for a couple seconds. And if if the coaches are seeing what they think is going to come, you're going to have a, a walk-in touchdown. And it's, it's crazy that Marquise had as many options as he did um, for uh, a walk-in touchdown to start the game.
2: I'm sorry, I'm, I'm giggling at the thought of of Coach Brewer talking about a trap house in the sideline. But I could see where it would motivate the kids.
1: Yeah, we Man, are, I, we all are. It, Every time he says it,
2: <laughs> Greg, I appreciate you mentioning that too about Mac Hollins because going back and watching that play, and again, there's there's you don't lack for highlights in this game. But going back and watching that play, Max the closest person to Switzer. There there wasn't a Duke defensive back that could have made that play. there's it just wasn't a prayer. Taylor, I want to ask you, following up on your on your comment there about kind of how you guys had 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 in your mind how you were going to attack Duke's defense. You heard the announcers in this game talking about how much Duke liked to to walk their back four up, or how much their their back four liked to get in the box and kind of put their nose in at the line of scrimmage. What does that do for a group of receivers? What are you guys thinking? I mean, you've got to. You mentioned that you guys get fired up, but how does that change your your game plan so that you know so that you you want to be aggressive? But you don't necessarily want to tip your hand either at the line.
1: Yeah, I think it's a I think it's something where the coaches prepare us so well week in and week out that we're confident it's it's not so much what the defense is gonna do, but just how we respond. And when a team like Duke wants to get in your face, it's kind of like the Virginia Tech matchup where they're known for trying to press you and disrupt your timing and get you off your rhythm. So we just have to revert back to our training with Coach Brewer and were good releases. And it's a, it's, it was a situation where we knew if we just won our releases at the line of scrimmage that Quise was going to put the ball in a, a catchable spot for our receivers. And when you look at our receivers across the board, guys like Mac, Bug, guys with these huge catch radiuses that if, if they were able to win at the line of scrimmage, that was going to pay huge dividends for them down the field.
2: Good stuff. Greg, I got to ask you, when you see the first play, just absolutely demoralize Duke the way it does. From your standpoint, what are you looking for in the rest of the game? Do you, you feel like you know every other play the rest of the game is just going to be a you know a, a seventy-five yarder? Because because they very well could have been, and there were a couple of w- later in the game. But what, how does that change how you're approaching how you're approaching a, a football game when you see this? Because I mean, going back and going back and watching, it, it's like oh my god, this is just an offensive clinic. What are you thinking when it's happening live?
0: Well, when we saw that, that first touchdown, we're thinking, okay, well, Marquise is, is, is in this game. Uh, you know, That was a, a heck of a play call. That was the first punch landed. But we've all watched so many Carolina-Duke games over the years. Even when North Carolina won you know, 20 straight, a lot of those games were pretty competitive. Uh, and we, we knew Cutcliffe's a good coach. So I was really curious to see what happened on the, on the next possession and, and give Duke credit because they, they drove down uh, in a 71-yard drive, kicked a field goal. So you're back in it, but what really kind of changed things for me is that next possession uh, because TJ Logan, once again, this is a play where, where Duke uh, I think it was uh, Devin Edwards gets, gets caught on inside and I don't know if he was, he was trying to stop the run or whatever it may have been uh, but TJ Logan's able to get outside on the swing route and ends up being like a 50 yard pass play. Another, I don't want to say a, bro- a broken play. But another poor decision by a Duke defender. Uh, and once North Carolina scored on that that drive and it became 14 to 3, at that point I'm thinking, okay, this, this could be this could get pretty ugly pretty quick.
3: Williams, wheel route down the sideline, wide open TJ Logan. He's got a step to the 10 and he's brought down at about the five-yard line. Devon Edwards saved the touchdown. First and goal, Carolina at the four. Well, defensive coordinator Jim Knowles was a little upset
4: on that opening play of miscommunication. He's going to be again. It's corner and it's safety, and this is a concept Carolina runs a lot.
1: Yeah, everybody talks about the offense in this game, and you know, rightfully so, they put up 66 points. But I think one aspect that kind of doesn't get talked about as much is the defense the defense's ability to respond after we had a couple early scores. So like Greg mentioned, you know, Duke drives down the field um, after the first quarter. That's usually like where a game can be, be won or lost. And they go all the way down and then MJ has a huge pass breakup. Des Lawrence has a huge pass breakup in the goal line and it forces Duke to kick a field goal kind of changed the way that they're thinking and now we're still we still have a lead when we come back out on the field and north and um we come down the field score again and i think the defense doesn't get as much credit as they deserve in this game for uh, a couple big stops to kind of let the offense keep building the momentum
3: a loses the football north carolina gets the takeaway jeff shotner comes up with the recovery And it looked like Malik Simmons knocked it out. Disaster for Duke.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point is that, you know, the offense is sitting here just, just, you know, big punch, haymaker after haymaker. And the defense is making their share of plays too. I mean, you look down at the end of the game and and Duke Duke padded up some yards, but they didn't score a ton. Um, Guys, I usually like to ask right in this part of the, the podcast, you know, about the flow of the game. But really, it was just a UNC onslaught for the whole first half. I mean, I, I'm sitting here looking at my notes, and I've got uh, T.J. Logan, very fast. Um, Duke's DBs cheat up a lot. I mean, it's this is the stuff that I, I don't remember seeing in real time. It, it, am I missing anything when we're talking about the the wave and the flow of the game other than just how how is, how is Carolina going to score next?
0: Well, Taylor mentioned this initially. And I think it's spot on. He talked about the talent of this team. One of the great storylines of this past year for North Carolina football is some of the incredible plays that the wide receivers made. Yes, they dropped some passes, but De'Ami Brown, Daz Newsome, had some incredible catches against guys that were right on top of them. And what you saw watching this game in 2015 is that this was easy. I mean, Matt Collins is running away from people. He's got five yards between him and the defender when Mark (laughs) Cleats hits him. Ryan Switzer was wide open down the middle of the field last play before half, you know, Buck Howard's got five yards of separation. Um, And so it really was, I mean, the the talent differential, especially offensively, was really on display and not to downplay what Marquise did whatsoever, uh, but it really makes it easy on the quarterback when your wide receivers are essentially running free, even when guys are trying to defend them, to to throw some of these huge pass plays for, for touchdowns.
2: Yeah, I, I want to go to you real quick, Vip, but I, I'm, I'm tempted to to point out two catches by by Bug in this game. One was at the 10 29 mark, where, I mean, yeah, the defenders literally got his helmet in Bug's midsection. Bug hangs on to the ball for about a 15 yard <laughs> gain. And then the one later in the game that isn't even a catch because he's out of bounds, he just makes a one yard, gimme that. Like, just uh, Vip, I believe we call that mossing. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 <laughs>
4: exactly.
1: Yeah. Bug had some of the best catches like I've ever seen from a football player. They're um, a good quick, like quick little side note is Bug had the biggest hands I've ever seen from a receiver. I think he had to get his gloves, like custom made from J bone. J bone can try to confirm it. Bug was either a four XL glove size or a five XL and like his ability, we would like stay after practice and, uh, be on the ball machine and bug would just be like as close as you can be to the ball machine, just making like unbelievable one hand catches. Like not only were they big, they were like extremely strong. And I think you saw that in with the back of the end zone and being able to just go up over the top of uh s- smaller defensive backs. his ability to pluck the ball is something like I've never, I've never seen before. And bug has uh bug. Coach Brewer calls a wide receiver freaks and Bug lives up to that with his hands for sure.
2: You know, as North Carolina football goes, I think Hakeem Nix was always one that had the story about having really big hands for a receiver, Uh, but a 5X, man, I don't, that's, that's, that's otherworldly. Do want to hope that our listeners when they go back and watch this, just please take a look at those. It's around the 1029 mark for that Bug catch. And then the one in the second half where he, he catches it out of bounds one handed and, I don't know if there's a ton of time spent on it, but it just the acrobatic nature. And to Vip's point, the catch radius that he shows off in that is absolutely nuts. All right, boys, we've got a lot to choose from. Uh, Major time, what would be your your timeless highlight of
1: this game? I could start with that one. Uh, The timeless highlight for me would be Bugs' touchdown before the first half, which kind of just put a, a stamp on the game. And one of the reasons why I think I love that highlight so much is I'm not sure if you guys have seen it, but there's a picture of bug celebrating with the student section and it's like a packed student section. There's a ton of Carolina blue. I, we, that picture was all over um, the Keenan football center. So just seeing it always brought back a lot of good memories. And I think just looking at that moment combined with, the fact that Duke had the ball going in on like the 35 yard line with 26 seconds left had two timeouts. I'm pretty sure at the time. So realistically there should be no way that UNC got the ball back. Sir, he almost threw an interception on the first down play second down. He actually does give the ball back to UNC. And I bet a lot of people were kind of just like, just run the ball out. You know, you have a huge lead, but that was something that we wanted to emphasize in the game. You know, we had our foot on Duke's throat and we just wanted to finish them. And, you know, there's, there's no reason why Bunk should be able to get behind Duke's secondary with eight seconds left at about midfield. But, you know, it was just a game where if it could go right for UNC, it did go right.
3: He's looking for the bomb again. It's another touchdown to Bunk Howard. Are you kidding me?
2: I'm so glad you brought up that photo. Uh, it was actually one of the things I made in my notes about the the thing that I remember about that game before watching it again. You're exactly right. Uh, you know, it's eight seconds left. There's no reason for anybody to, you know, to not get depth there. Bug just outruns the guy. Marquise, there's a perfect ball, hits him right in the basket. But that photo, and I encourage all of our listeners, go find it. It's, it's Bug Howard standing there, his arms outstretched facing uh the tar pit that student section just kind of letting all of the letting all of the just the vibes just hit him because i mean you're absolutely walking the dog on your rival thank you for mentioning that vip that's a that's a huge indelible memory greg what do you got what's your what's your timeless highlight of this game
0: yeah i think it's it's hard to argue with taylor i mean if we're not talking about the the flea flicker to, to open the game it is how north carolina finished so i'll just expand on that a little bit uh and even if you go back just a few minutes uh Duke had the ball, had a fourth down and short. I think it was fourth and four, so maybe fourth and medium. Inside North Carolina territory uh, with two minutes and like 20 seconds left in the first half, and it was 24 to 10. It was a ball game. As good as North Carolina had looked early, Duke was in position, you know, maybe if you can convert that, you go down, score, you're talking about maybe a seven-point game at halftime, that really changes the dynamics of this game. Well, Cutcliffe elects to punt, wants to depend North Carolina down, which they do. I think North Carolina got the ball inside the ten, but then three plays later, uh with a minute and a half left to go in the in the second quarter, Marquise finds Mac for a seventy five yard touchdown and that's that's really the one I was talking about where Mac just blows by the defense and then what happens you you kind of get into what Taylor's talking about. North Carolina makes a good defensive stop. Uh, Dominic Green had the interception and then and just you know a couple of plays later you have the the touchdown pass to Buck Howard so in a minute 30 this game went from being 24 to 10 to 38 to 10 and being over and so it just a quick strike uh, opportunity of this offense and to do it the way they did it there in the final minutes of the second quarter I think is what what every offensive coach kind of dreams about
1: yeah going to back to max touchdown I think that the bug touchdown was awesome but I think the Mac touchdown was my favorite moment from the game just because of how close I was with Mac and when I say like the wide receivers took this matchup personal and we were kind of offended that Duke was going to try to press up against us like Mac Hollins if bug has the biggest hand I've ever seen Mac Hollins is the fastest wide receiver I've ever seen and the fact that they thought that they could play as close as they could without giving him you know a huge cushion that he could eat up and like 1.2 seconds before uh like Marquise was barely even his drop steps yet and Mac was probably 10 15 yards past them already so i think that touchdown was my favorite where you see um you see what duke was trying to do in the game and how quickly it backfired against them uh right up close and personal and i think once mac scored you could kind of see him shrug because he was like this is what they thought was really going to happen in this game and i just watched the highlight as greg was talking and that's definitely the highlight where you could hear coach brewer saying uh let's get in the trap house when uh (laughs) max max coming back on
3: the sideline play action for williams he wants the bomb again it's there on time mac collins touchdown
4: a tremendous half of football for Seth Luttrell. Larry Fedora and his offensive team, they have had just the feeling and the philosophy that we will not step off the gas pedal. Mac Hollins is a big playmaker. Now 15 touchdown receptions, and this isn't very fancy. This isn't some rub route. This was a one-on-one against a true freshman, and Mac Hollins, the fastest player on this offense, just simply runs right by the freshman McDuffie.
2: I remember Mac coming back after that one too. You can read his lips; he's saying "ring my bell, ring my bell," because you could hear the cheerleaders ringing the victory bell on the sideline. And yeah, the play you're talking about—I mean, it's Mac Hollins is a long strider. I mean, he, he was a—he was a track athlete. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was a track athlete at some point. But dude was a long strider. How do how do you not you know give him a little bit of space, like you said, Viv? You you got to give him some room, or he's just gonna he's gonna beat you in three steps. And this is a perfect example of that. Uh, yeah, th- this game was essentially over at halftime. Um, I think there's there's a lot of offense that you can talk about. Greg, what do you got?
0: Just just to continue on that that Mac um, string of thought, there he had some great quotes after this game, and I, I don't know what happened. Maybe Taylor can fill me in after the show. He didn't like to talk to media uh, in 2016 for whatever reason, but in 15 he was an incredible quote. And after this game, I was going to read some of these to you because they're fantastic. Uh, quote. That's like some mad numbers on rookie level. And then about the bell, he said, some of the guys on this team are really into the rivalry. I'm not really into it. I don't really care. The only thing I care about is if they try to take my bell. It's just a game to me. Uh, and so, and, and the other thing too, is in the second half, we asked him, "You know, when you're up by this amount, what are you talking about on the sideline as a team? And he said, we really weren't saying anything. We're just kind of hanging out. It turns into more of a practice type of attitude when you don't have to stress about so much stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mac. Mac is always good for those one or two liners. I think uh, the point where it probably flipped is the game 2016, where they came out in the robes. I remember uh, a lot of people behind the scenes didn't like that and wanted them to kind of, taper down their their talks and i think he was kind of the leader on you know i'm gonna just let my business do the talking for me um but yeah mac mac is somebody who even when he's not talking all his antics are always funny like like that game and every every home game and every away game he would show up in a full suit because he said we're always on business trips and mac was the person who got us to start showing up not in travel suits and in actual suits because of the business mindset. And he would carry a briefcase around with him. So Mac was always a guy that even, even if he's not saying it to the media, you know, he's saying something funny on the sidelines. And that's kind of the the mindset the team had um, once we started running it up, that this, this felt like a practice. This felt like a scrimmage where we could do anything we want against these guys.
2: I'm sitting here thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, Vip, but I, I feel like I used to like watching Mac on on kickoff coverage too, because I feel like he was always just in the receiver's face, just letting him know, okay, I'm here. Like, you, you know, if, if you catch this, you're good. You're going to get some chin music. I mean, is that it? Wasn't he like that on special teams too on kick coverage?
1: Yeah, he he coming from being like a walk on, he takes everything personal when he's out there on the field. Um, he, a guy like him, he knows the reason why he is in the position now, being in the NFL, is because of special teams. So I remember when the Eagles were trying to get him more involved with the offense, they were like, we're going to have to dial you back on special teams. And he was like, no, I don't want to do that. Like special teams is how I got involved in football and how I'm in this position to even be collecting checks now. So I know special teams has always held a dear place in his heart to where he, he's not getting taken off special teams no matter what. And he's going to let you know that he's on special teams for sure with his impact on the game.
2: There's so much to like about this game and this team, especially from an offensive standpoint. I, I like those nuggets about Mac too. I appreciate you sharing that, Vip. Boys, there's a certain part of this podcast I'd like to highlight this guy. This guy is the one who made most of the plays. This guy is the one who stole all the highlights, got all the ESPN time. This guy probably got the game ball afterwards. You got a lot to choose from. Greg, who was your this guy?
0: Uh, it's got to be Marquise Williams. And just, you know, I, I try as a reporter, I try to take this take a step back and, and look at uh, the entire arc of a player's career and, and how a team performs from beginning to end. Um, and, you know, a lot of people kind of forget the fact that I mean, this is a kid who had to miss a spring practice because of academics. Uh, and this is a kid who, who did a lot of good things on that 14 team, but there was a lot of chemistry issues with that 14 team. And, um, you know, one of the things that that Vip talked about early in this podcast is how kind of united this team was and everybody was in. And a lot of that was because of how they handled their business in the offseason. And they corrected some of those issues uh, that that popped up in in 14. And I think Marquise was really at the front of that. So to see this guy go from a, a player who they weren't sure if he could play quarterback at this caliber when he was a freshman. They knew he was an athlete, but they weren't sure if he was a quarterback. To, uh, and you know, he, he gets to this season, he has the game that he had against South Carolina, and everybody's like, this is just not going to work. You know, The whole situation against Delaware where, where Mitch comes in for him in the second half and that controversy started up. Um, for him to, to have a game like this, and this wasn't the first one, but this really was, you know, for me, probably the first half of this game is the best offensive half that I've ever covered. And he was the the keystone of that. Yes, the wide receivers were good. Somebody had to get him the ball. And one of the reasons that teams wanted to try to stop the run is because Marquise was so good in the run game. And so for him to really have kind of this resume-type game against an in-state opponent, against a rival, and this is a kid from Charlotte, um, I, I think was really special. And it's fun to see him. And in hindsight, you kind of take him for granted a little bit, but just seeing what he did in that first half especially – Uh, I think you have to give game ball to him.
1: Yeah, I would definitely have to say Marquise when you look at the stats he put up. You know, he was the heart and soul of the 2015 team. And it's just kind of crazy to look back at the numbers he put up and the fact that the next year Mitch goes number two in the NFL draft and you really don't get any UNC fans saying like, you know, what could the 2015 team have done with a guy like Mitch Trubisky at quarterback because of how good Marquise was. So it's hard to give the game ball to anybody um, beside Marquise when he doesn't turn the ball over. He throws for almost 500 yards. He's, he kills them on the ground. Um, and then I think if I, if I didn't give it to Marquise, I would kind of give like an unsung hero to the offensive line as a whole because they gave um, Marquise a ton of time to throw the ball. The running lanes for guys like TJ and Quise and uh, Elijah and even Mitch. When Mitch comes in, you could see the the gaps that the offensive line was creating behind a guy like Landon Turner. But um, in terms of the star power in the game, it's, it's Marquise Williams all day.
2: I don't think anybody would argue with with Quise being the face of the game. And I'll go ahead and tease a little bit. Uh, we are going to talk to Marquise after the break in what we like to call the postgame. So stick around for that. Uh, guys, just to be a contrarian here, I'm going to give uh, the this guy to Seth Luttrell um, just because you guys both picked Marquise and I want to try to shake it up for our listeners a little bit. But uh, I feel like Latrell this game, a lot of play action, just play action, play action, play action. Duke didn't know whether to sit or, or, or wind their watch. Um, and it was, it was one of these deals where, you know, he took advantage of what Duke was giving him, but he also made Duke pay when they tried to get aggressive. Uh, you, you go back and watch at the different types of things that he set up, you know, by using the using the pre snap, uh, you know directional stuff with, with uh Switzer a lot of times moving him in that little slot receiver position. Uh, you know, the first uh, running touchdown that Marquise had, all the action goes to the left. You know, and, and Quise, who was a great athlete, but you know, just kind of sauntered into the end zone because all of the all of Duke's you know back seven bit on the you know on the action pre snap. Uh, so I want to give it to Seth Luttrell, but, again, I'm, I'm not going to argue Marquise either. Just to give you Marquise's stats, since you guys were teasing him a second ago, he went 23 of 35 for 494 yards and four touchdowns. Didn't play in the fourth quarter. Had 400 yards in the first half. Uh, it, it was an absolute onslaught offensively. Not to be outdone, you could have gone with Mac Hollins, five receptions for 165 and a touchdown, and also you know, uh, saw many of his fellow receivers visit the trap house that day it was absolutely an offensive just just nuts nuts day
3: keep your eyes on number three in motion there goes ryan switzer instead quarterback run and a walk-in for marquise williams another touchdown for north carolina and he now breaks the record all-time 80 touchdowns responsible for in his career with the heels.
4: And guess who they run behind? Get that movement, man. Run right behind your big fellas. The right guard, Landon Turner, 330, delivers a knockout punch for Marquise to run behind.
1: Going off your point about Latrell, I think one thing, if fans rewatch this game, that I think they should kind of consider moving forward. Um, a lot of times, fans don't like when UNC is running this kind of horizontal type offense with swing passes or, wide receiver screens but I think you can kind of see in this game what that does to a defense when you're able to stretch them out horizontally because if you're able to swing a ball out to a wide receiver in motion and pick up maybe three four yards that's just as good as getting a three four yard rush on first down right up the middle and I think when you are able to stretch them out kind of like Latrell was able to do with the screens and the swing passes with a guy like Marquise Williams that just opens up the field and it opens it up the middle, it opens them up vertically when you're starting to think about more responsibilities on outside the numbers.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? I mean, there's the game within the game, but it's also, it's, every play doesn't have to be a touchdown, even though in this game it felt like it kind of was. All right, guys, what did rewatching this game make you feel? You know, There's going to be some stuff that maybe you saw that you didn't remember the first time. Greg, I know you threw out a couple of things earlier, but now as we're wrapping up, wrapping up the show, you know what kind of stuff did did you feel here that maybe you didn't think the first time, Vip? I want to start with you. Maybe maybe watching this stirred up something that you you don't remember that you felt when you were on the sidelines. What do you think?
1: Yeah, my the biggest thing that kind of jumped out to me is that I don't remember ever punting, and I could I when I watched back the game, Joey Julie had two punts. It was just a game where it felt Punt. like we scored. It felt like a game we just scored every time we got it. So I don't ever remember punting. Um, I don't even really remember Nick Wyler even kicking field goals. It felt like every time we scored, it was just touchdowns and just a touchdown onslaught. And then I think rewatching it, this was kind of outside of the Delaware game, just because it's a FCS level opponent. This was kind of one of the first games where I think people could see what Mitch could do. Um, he, he brought a great deal of running. He makes quick decisions as a passer. And I think this was kind of, you know, he's, he only throws five passes, but he goes five for five. And I think this was kind of a, a big confidence boost for him on top of the Delaware, on top of everything he did leading up to the 2016 season. That If when his time was up, he was ready. And you could see another another one of my favorite things about this team is like when Marquise scores a touchdown or Marquise throws a touchdown, Mitch is the first guy over there celebrating with him. And when Mitch scores a touchdown, rushing the ball late in the, I think it was the fourth quarter, Marquise is the first one celebrating with him. So like I said before, like family gets thrown around a lot when it comes to football and when it comes to teams, but this team, you could kind of see it when guys are scoring touchdowns, who's celebrating with them, how happy guys are for each other's success. And I think this was kind of, not the starting point, but one of the points where I remember watching Mitch play against FBS-level competition, being like, this guy's going to be really good.
2: Glad you mentioned that. Yeah, he got in, went five for five. Uh, basically, fourth quarter was truth time. He uh, he goes in, and, and even one time, I think he was retreating, and one of the things that we saw was he was so good throwing on the move. You got to see that a little bit in this fourth quarter. Greg, what about you, man? What What did this rewatch make you feel?
0: Well, to be honest, it really... Within that season, it made me think. This is the first game that made me really think. Okay, if this team gets to Charlotte, they can compete with Clemson. Because we knew Clemson was a powerhouse offensively, uh, but the way North Carolina executed uh, really made me think. Okay, well, this could this could be interesting if they can they can continue this, and kind of to, to build off what Taylor said, you know, as a reporter, when it gets to be thirty eight to ten at halftime, that's good for me. Because what that means is the entire second half, I can start writing. So I'm not there three hours after the game finishes. I can actually get home a little bit early. Uh, and so you you don't – I mean, you still pay attention. You don't pay attention as closely. And I think rewatching this game, and, and you having the ability to see it on TV as opposed to watching from the press box as well, is you really see the joy of the players. Um, and one thing that a lot of coaches talk about, and I firmly believe it, the more – success you have and the ability to get in your number twos and your number threes to let them enjoy some of the game and have some success and everybody to have that camaraderie. I think that's excellent for the program that that's great for everybody involved. And you can just really tell everybody enjoyed it. And so that, that's, that's fun to watch. That's what college athletics is about. And I, I think that really helped this team close the year very strong. Um, you It know, didn't close exactly the way everybody hoped, but the fact that this team was able to get a, a coastal title and get to the ACC title game is just a, an incredible year. And while this wasn't the game necessarily that jump-started it, I think this was a game, because of that seven-point spread, because it was Duke, because they had been in the top 25, this was one you, walk, you went into not knowing exactly how it was going to go, but you were able to really enjoy how it got finished.
1: Going off Greg's point about – you know, how much we enjoyed it. I think one of the best things to see when you rewatch it, if you're sticking it out in the fourth quarter, which I would recommend everybody doing is that, you know, we're up, I think we were up like 35 in the fourth quarter. And when Mitch is in, we're still going for it on fourth downs, which is kind of funny to me to see a team going for it up 35 in the fourth quarter. Um, but I think that just kind of goes to show the mentality that we had that year. It was, it was, we were trying to run over everybody. Um, we didn't care if we were going for it on fourth down. If, if you don't like it, stop us. And um, that's, that's one, of, one quick point I kind of just wanted to mention that's kind of funny to rewatch, just how much we're going for it on fourth down when the game is you know way, 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 way decided already. Hey, hurt feelings don't matter.
2: That's, just, that's, that's, part, of, that's part of rivalry football, right? Uh, I, I think you know, uh, this is one of those games, uh, again, the purpose in wanting to do this game was it's just so much fun uh, from a Tar Heel fans' perspective, and being able to to kind of go back and just see what was essentially a clinic, and oh, by the way, on the other side of the ball is is one of your rivals, you know, playing for the victory bill. Uh, one of the things we didn't talk about, which we usually have, are are some points of controversy. I saw one, but Greg, I, I think you might have one you want to share. What what you got, Joey? We're probably talking
0: about the exact same one because there's not many points of controversy here in this game the way it played out. Uh, but Taylor got me thinking about it when he, when he mentioned the, the punting aspect, well, what happened, I think it was the, the series before is that North Carolina got down into the 10 yard line, uh, had a third and goal <laughs> with the one went for it with Elijah hood, did not get it fourth and one, they go with the jumbo. What package. happens again,
2: Greg? <laughs>
0: they did not get it. Here's the controversy. Okay. Everybody wants to say, well, you South Carolina, Elijah wasn't in the game. They're late. Uh, Larry Fedora kind of shifted the blame over to Larry Porter. um, And we know how that played out. But in this particular game, it wasn't the fact that Elijah didn't get in. It was that Larry Fedora, because of how the game played out, Larry admitted in his post-game press conference that he did not realize it was fourth down. He thought it was third down uh, for whatever reason. And he did not understand yeah. that it was it was fourth and one instead of third and one, so he went for it, didn't get it. And I think that kind of speaks to the point that some of these games that we see are so close, and there are critical decisions made on a split second. And if the game is close, they all blow up. All these situations blow up. But when you're beating the doll crap out of your rival, nobody cares. Nobody pays attention. And if that was a close game, he would have been skewered for that.
2: Thank God for a blowout! Yeah, you, you're exactly <laughs> right. That was the that was the one I was yeah, I was actually going to mention, but you know, didn't want to uh, didn't want to sell the the feel good of this of, of this podcast. But you're exactly right. This is one of those where if if you don't hang sixty six on Duke, and you have your coach saying he didn't know it was fourth down, you know what kind of column are you writing for Inside Carolina the next day? You know what I mean? Um, what or, or what is what is anybody saying the next day after the game?
0: Yeah, nothing good. <laughs>
2: yeah that's uh, that was definitely um if if we're gonna pick nits I definitely think that, that that would probably rise to the top well guys, this has been a ton of fun uh last chance anything that maybe we should have talked about that that just has to be mentioned before we put this game to bed vip you got anything
1: no not that I could think of i think we we covered it pretty uh front and back it was a a fun blowout and I think it was a kind of an indication of how good the twenty fifteen could be when we were playing at our best. So I think that this game, if I had to pick any game that kind of sums up the 2015 season, it would be the game against Duke.
2: Greg, anything that we missed?
1: No,
0: it's uh, it's tough to follow uh, Taylor, so I'll leave it there.
2: Love the
1: love the confidence boost right there.
2: <laughs> Your final score: Tar Heels 66, Duke 31. Uh, hit the team stats real quick, 704 total yards uh, for the Tar Heels, 537 in the air, 167 rushing. Oh, by the way, Elijah Hood, the aforementioned, didn't get in on fourth down. He he just went for 17 carries, 69 yards, and a measly three visits to the trap house. Guys, this has been a ton of fun. I appreciate y'all taking the time and and jumping in the, the time machine with me going back to November of 2015. Uh, I want to tell our listeners just stick around after the break. We're going to talk to Marquis Williams, the guy who absolutely just flooded the stat books and the record books in this game. We talked about him earlier. We're going to have some time with him in the in the post game here. Want to give another shout out to Johnny T-shirt for sponsoring. Be sure you check them out, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Use your Inside Carolina Premium Subscriber uh, Discount to get your extra ten percent. Um, thank them for sponsoring. When you if you go into the store, thank them for sponsoring us. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, thanks again to Taylor Viplis Greg Barnes Uh, we'll check you guys on the other side when we talk to Mark williams
0: okay picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, with available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe
2: Thanks, Joy. Thanks, Joy. All right, guys. You're now officially in the post-game show on the throwback. And as we talked about earlier, you heard Greg Barnes brag about him. You heard Taylor Vipless brag about him. You heard me brag about him because he was essentially a video game in the 2015 UNC homecoming game against Duke. Right now we have joining us Marquise Williams, number 12. How you doing, buddy?
5: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing?
2: Man, look, we sat here and and chopped up this entire game, and it was essentially – uh the the best of highlight reel for for you guys offensively I appreciate you coming on to talk to us about it and we're we're definitely glad to be talking to you because when we went through and talked about it you were the guy that everybody felt like was the MVP of the game I mean man you had 400 yards in the first half which is just absolutely ridiculous uh it started out with a bang you know, obviously you guys went flea flicker right out of the gate and 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 Vip told us that you guys had that first play ready for 2 weeks now, you as a quarterback, what's in your mind when you know that that play is right in your pocket to start with?
5: I know if we – I was just saying, if we hit this play, it's going to be a long day for Duke. Man. Like I said, we practiced <laughs> a lot. Um, we practice sleep flick a lot, and, you know, it was just a shot play that we had up for the week to start it off. You know, we knew it was going to be a special game. Um, both teams coming in with the rival, you know, a big-time rival, and we wasn't going to back down, and they wasn't either. So, you know, I think Fedora's was like, hey, Let's go in and punch him in the mouth early and let's get it going. And that's what we did. And that that was it was it was one of the best best games ever. I mean, like I said, that play just topped it off, man. It was just so special, man. It,
2: it definitely led to it definitely led to setting the tone for what would be, like you said, a long day for for uh the boys down the road. I wanna ask, when you walked up and we went back and watched this play, Duke's safety you know, cheated up a little bit. Did you know uh-huh. before he did that, did you know just from a, a pre snap check that you guys had this play? Or did you did yeah, you wait knew, to see him cheat up?
5: Well, we knew that he was always wanting to cheat up in the box because our run games were so strong, strong So it was we knew that he wanted to cheat up in the box and we knew that, you know, he was he was a good player, but you know, he, he wanted to stick his nose in his nose and everything. So we found a way that, hey, okay, since he wanna stick his nose in something, we're gonna give him something to stick it in. So, so like I said, we we, caught, we dialed up a play that, that was, man, it was just spectacular, honestly. I mean, it was a great play call and, you know, great preparation during the week what we had dialed up for that play coming in the first play of the game. And it got our fans into it. And that's the thing. You know, you want to get your fans into it. You want to have them going, have them rolling. So, man, it was just – it was special for us, man. It was real special.
2: All right. Well, <clears throat> speaking about that Duke defense – Was there anything about that defense going into the game when you guys did your, your, your pregame prep that whole week? Was there anything about that defense that you saw on tape that made you more confident going into this game than maybe in some other ones?
5: Well, it it just went through the preparation in the game. I mean, the preparation was so good for me. Um, Studying film all throughout the, throughout the week. Um, Just preparation, honestly. I mean, I just, I knew that, you know, this is a big game for us. And we were, we were starting to get on the road and, you know, it was, it starts with me, you know, the pr- preparation I do is going to take us a long way and that's the biggest thing. So with that being done, I mean, it was, it was, it was just good for us. Yeah. I I just, I was excited for that opportunity to go out there and, and showcase our fans, you know, the hard work we did during the week, and It was fun, man. It was.
2: It was a lot of fun. It definitely felt like you guys were kind of just letting it all out, kind of getting out some frustration and, you know, I I gotta I gotta think that, that this was kind of scout team esque for, for what you guys were doing to Duke to a certain point. You specifically, twenty three of thirty five, four hundred and ninety four yards, four touchdowns, uh, and that was without playing in the fourth quarter. I gotta ask, when you're you're putting up video game numbers uh-huh. like that in a game and you're in your flow, does your mind get a little bit greedy? No,
5: honestly, I mean I just I just felt like I was just on point. It was, like, probably one of the best games of my career. You know, that goes from, like, a lot of highlights I had. But, man, that was just one of the best games I ever had. I mean, I mean, I couldn't miss. And it wasn't just, you know, trying to feel <laughs> cocky or anything or being, you know, just being honest. Just being I just couldn't miss. And that just goes from my teammates, man. It wasn't just me. It was Quinshot, you know, Ryan, Bug, TJ, Elijah, Fritz. uh. Kendrick, uh, Landon, uh, Lucas. I mean, it it was so much into it that we just knew that, man, this was our time. It was our time, and, you know, we just got tired of exchanging the bells and going back and forth with them, and, you know, it was just like, hey, man, we, we need to go out here and set the tone. And we set the tone, man. We set the tone, and, man, it was—it felt good, honestly. It felt so good, and, man, I just man, I, I wish I could just go back and play that game again, man. It was so fun. <laughs>
2: I know about sixty thousand Tar Heel fans that would that would be all about that too. Uh, and yes, what, sir. Yeah. in a game like that? At what point did you know that? Oh, this is going to be a whooping. I mean, you mentioned on that first play, you knew it was kind of kind of be long for him. But uh-huh. uh, but you just you you were just telling us that you know you felt like you were just on that day. At what point in the game yeah. do you realize? Oh, this is mine.
5: Well, like I say, like I just it was the point in time where I was like I broke green record at. The completions in the game, and I'm like, you know, dang, like, you know, usually I'm going to probably throw one in the ground or, you know, overhead somebody, but man, I'm hitting them today. It's like, okay, I'm hitting them. We own. Run game is strong. Elijah and TJ are just turn it up. I'm like, yeah, this is our game. It's, this is our game. I mean, whatever we called that day was on point, man. I mean, we called whatever and it, we was just ready. I mean, inside zone read, you couldn't stop us running the ball. Outside zone read, bubble passes, whatever the case was, we were just on. And I'm like, man, this is it for us. We, we, we this, this is the game, this is the game. Like, we probably play, a, we play, play like a complete game with special teams and everybody. We were just on, man.
3: Williams looking in zone again. Bubbles, caught, Carolina touchdown. Quinshot Davis gets into the end. The 23rd touchdown catch of Quinshot Davis's career.
2: You're all over it. I think that going back, you know, when we, we watched it back, I'm not sure it was everyone, but I'd be willing to bet a majority of the 12 incompletions that you had statistically that day, I think at least half of them were throwaways because you didn't like what you saw um, going yeah, back and looking at that
5: Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. I, that, was, that was a lot of them too. But, man, that, that goes with the name of the game. So, man, But yeah, man, that was – and honestly, man, it's just giving me chills thinking about it right now, man. That game was just special. It was a special <laughs> game.
2: So let let the let the listeners know, that a game like that where you guys are just absolutely, you know, on you're 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 just absolutely on tilt, you're on fire, everything you do is working. What's it like on the sidelines with you and your teammates? It's
5: a lot of excitement, a lot of fun. When you're winning and you're winning for UNC, I mean, that's that's one thing you want to do is win for them, man. Because I mean, honestly. We got some harsh fans. When you lose, they're gonna tell you. But the best feeling was just being with our, just being with our um, teammates on the sideline. It was just like, man, everybody was so happy. You know, walk-ons, everybody, so happy because I mean they knew they played a big role in it. And when everybody was playing a big role, like say the preparation of just what we did during the week of practice. I mean, it was so awesome. And for everybody to hold that bell, for the seniors to get that bell, and you know, for the the legacy, just to keep going, the bell, the arrival of that bell is something special for us. So, I mean, it was, it was just a lot of excitement on that sideline for us.
2: Definitely a cherry on top. It was neat to see, and Greg pointed it out yesterday. A cool thing about this team was you guys were all so united, and that really mm-hmm. that really resonated in everything you did. Even in the fourth quarter, after you, you'd long been out of the game, Mitch goes in, goes five for five, and, and gets a touchdown, mm-hmm. and, and you're the first guy there to celebrate with him.
5: Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, that was that was special because, I mean, I know how it is being the backup and, you know, wanting to get in and play, but, you know, somebody's in front of you. But, man, Mitch, preparation every day pushed me to be who I was my senior year. And, you know, I give him a lot of credit because, like I say, man, there's a lot of people that would have loved to be playing, man. But he waited his turn, and that's what he did. He waited his turn, and you, you couldn't ask for a medal. So when his turn was out, he was ready to go, man. He was just ready to go, and that's what
2: I love about him. All right, I'm going to put – I'm going to throw two more questions at you, and they're both going to kind of put you on the spot. Um, okay. We've talked about a lot of really fun stuff. Was there anything in that game that you didn't like?
5: Uh, honestly, well, yeah, I hated that Coach Renard took me out and then let me get the 500. <laughs> <laughs> I hated that. I hated that. Yeah, that's what I didn't like at all, but – you know, that's what comes the the thing, uh, you know gotta get Six gotta get everybody Jordan playing. And I wanted oh, that I... so bad. 'Cause I thought I honestly thought that um Matt was gonna get it for me. When I threw him I think I threw him a like a little screen pass or whatever the case was. And he broke, but then he got clipped and I'm like, Come on, Mac, this is it. That was supposed to be that was supposed to be five hundred yards <laughs> right there. But that was the only thing I'd probably say, man, dang, I hated that he took me out because I wanted to be in a I – I see Sam Howell, and he's throwing for 400 plus, and I wanted to throw for that much. So, I mean, you know, but it's <laughs> true. That's the only thing I can say about, you know, not being able to freaking – not well, being I able to that, finish it from that. Yeah.
2: I hope that when you see Mac Hollins and you guys are breaking bread and, 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 and talking to each other that – that you'll tell him he still owes you six yards from your 500-yard game.
5: Oh, definitely. I'm definitely going to tell him. He should know that, too. And I, he t- actually yeah, called me the other day and we talked about it. He knows it.
2: <laughs> All right, man. I got one more for you. Uh, if, if you've got to give me one play from that game that, that right now you just, you know, it, it sticks out as, as the play, your favorite play. You know, again, this was, this was your game. This entire game was your world. You were making everybody look good. You were looking good. Yeah, you know, everything you did was gold. What was your favorite play from mm-hmm. that game? I say
5: right before to have the uh, long touchdown to Bug Howard. That was it. Was
1: mm-hmm. just,
5: that just put the icing on the cake? Like, <laughs> like we just we was just on top of our game. Like I say, we just we couldn't miss. And I knew that when we got past midfield and they gave us a chance, like to even score again, it was like, yeah, we're gonna win this game, man.
2: Yeah. That one, that one. It felt like, when we, and we talked about it the earlier part of the of this podcast. It, it felt like you guys snapped some souls on that one, man. It really did. Yeah, definitely. Well, Marquise, I really appreciate you taking the time to come back and and relive what was. If if not your best, it was definitely the most fun to watch. Uh, you just absolutely putting on an offensive clinic against Duke and homecoming in 2015 uh is there anything else you want our listeners to know okay uh, you know let them know what's going on with you or have you by the way when are you going to run for mayor of mallard creek that's got to happen right
5: ah <laughs> oh, man I, i'm not gonna I get, I, i'm trying to wait things out honestly i've just been just trying to see you know what's the next step if i'm gonna go back to the xfl or if i'm gonna you know getting the coaching you know uh, i would love to get back at the um you know at unc where it all started and to probably try to ga or wherever the case is or, Man, just just to get back in it. So, just a way if if it if it don't work out with my career, I want to get in coaching, man, because it means a lot.
2: Well, at least you'd have one fan right here, and I know a lot of folks listen to us would be would be very much proponents of that. So, we're definitely gonna wish you the best of luck with, with whatever your next step is. Hope you're staying safe hey. right now. Really, really appreciate you taking time to talk to us tonight, buddy.
5: Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. And hey, any more games you want me to reminisce about, just let me know. I'm here <laughs> And just give me a call, man. I really thank you guys for honestly just still keeping in touch with me, checking up on me, and still, you know, being a fan of, you know, Marquise, but on the field, but off the field. And I really, like I said, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much.
2: All right, buddy. Y'all, that's Marquise Williams uh, helping us break down his part of the Duke Carolina 2015 homecoming football game. And once again, we want to say a special thank you to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring us. So we appreciate you guys listening. We'll catch you next time on the next episode of The Throwback here on Inside Carolina.
1: Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by Shirt.com, Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.